Welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and the Libertarian is Professor Richard Epstein, the Peter and Kirsten Bedford Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, the Lawrence A. Tisch Professor of Law at NYU, and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, Biden takes power. And Richard, um, President Biden is off to an energetic start. A lot of executive action already taking place, some legislation brewing as well. And what I want to do today is just survey some of the major policy areas that he's emphasizing up front. And I want to start with energy and the environment, because as we are talking, Joe Biden has been president for a little over 24 hours. He's already rescinded a permit that's necessary for the Keystone Pipeline. He's starting the process to get us back in the Paris Climate Accord. He's slowing down some of the approvals for drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in Alaska, although that's temporizing. He can only delay that, not prohibit it. And in general, what we're seeing is a push for more renewable energy, fewer hydrocarbons. What do you make of this sort of 180 on energy issues? I think he's making a terrible mistake. Um, I thought he was making a mistake during the campaign. I think that this is one of the ways in which you compare him with Trump. When Trump came into power, one of the first acts that he did was to get rid of the Obama law of jam, which had tried to stop the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline, which ran from South Dakota into Illinois, uh, carrying over 500,000 barrels of oil per day. Uh, and now we're seeing somebody trying to stop the pipelines. Uh, it turns out that I am not sure that the Keystone Pipeline is a good business investment, but I do not think uh, permit approvals are basically designed to say you have to make money. Uh, that's an issue which the investors themselves can tie. So what are the downsides on this? Well, the first one is it enrages the Canadian government because it seemed to be high-handed and arbitrary. The second point is it undercuts the message that I'm a man who wants red and blue to talk together. He did this unilaterally. There were unions who were strongly opposed to him. Uh, there were investors who said, we can make this into a zero-carbon possi possibility. Uh, you didn't get any recent statements out of this stuff. It was just a preemptory action. Third, I think it's going to really upset the situation with respect the foreign affairs. Uh, one of the things that happens with this oil is you could then ship it overseas. To the extent that you could do that, you reduce the price leverage that are held by the Russians, by people in the Arab world, by just everybody else. You also improve the balance of trade for the United States. You also ease up the energy blockages that are taking place in the Northeast. These have been temporarily removed because of the slowdown under COVID. But when they come back, they will be even more acute than they were before. He's tried to talk about global warming, I think about which he knows almost nothing. And I think the simple observation is here, first-class pipelines emit very little. And if it's a question of how the end use is, you regulate the end uses. And if you block the Canadians from coming to the United States, they will find ways to ship that oil to places that are much more pollutant in the way in which they use it. So altogether, it was bad on process, bad on procedure. I think, in effect, if you look at the situation of the Biden energy team, it's one of the worst features of his administration. And comparing it to what Trump did on energy, I think it's very, very clear that we're paying a very high price for him. And I suspect that's going to be true on other issues as well. Let's talk a little bit about COVID. There is now a federal mask mandate, federal as opposed to national. It doesn't apply to the whole country, just to things that fall under the federal purview. Um, president says he wants to get 100 million vaccinations done in 100 days. And there's also a push 
big push on the economic side for more stimulus, bigger checks. So walk us through what you take to be the imperatives of both the public health and the economic responses to COVID. Okay. Right well, now. first of all, I, I think there are three responses to the health care thing that you should worry about. The masks, I think the mandate will actually make relatively little difference. Uh, what one sees generally is a very sharp increase in mask usage, which has taken place over the last two or three months. If you walk down Broadway, it's probably one person in 50 that's not wearing a mask. Uh, but on the other hand, you see a very rapid increase in the COVID cases. So what you do is you have a positive correlation between mask use and COVID rates. I don't think anybody would want to draw the inference that the masks caused the COVID, uh, but I do think it's probably the case that it's not very effective. Uh, secondly, on the vaccines, generally, the doctors that I've spoken to and the behaviors that I've observed, most people seem to think that it's a wise move to take the vaccine and that the real problem there is with the distribution system, which has been handled very badly, particularly in places like New York State, for which, you know, arteriosclerosis turns out to be a general state of virtually every public official. I don't know whether Bob could break the logjam. I do know that Trump had a very good man in Pence when it came to handling those particular issues. I wish him well on that thing. The third point, which is the one that's most distressing, is there are drugs out there which seem to be working in other countries, but Fauci refuses to endorse them and indeed blocks them. And so, you know, the whole problem with respect to hydroxychloroquine and all the rest of that stuff, ivomectin is another drug that's been mentioned. I'm not a medical expert, uh, but I do think that when you see such dramatic figures from overseas that you have a much lower death rate of people in hospital in places like India and Pakistan and Nigeria because they use these medicines then in the United States, one has to rethink that element. And so uh, the sort of dominant, centralized, I'm the expert on science model is terrible. What you really need to do is so that doctors who don't believe in prescribing HCQ not do it, but those who do want it, you want not to have the CDC and the FDA uh, issuing warnings about the dangerous effects of these kinds of drugs. So I think that's the biggest defect with respect to that. The stimulus, it stimulus has always failed at some level or another. They're short-term palliatives, uh, but the simple point is transferring money from A to B is a constant infusion if it's to succeed. What you really need to do is to get these businesses open and to reduce the tax burdens associated with them and get rid of the regulatory burdens. Uh, one of the worst moves that Biden seems to be thinking about is trying to weigh, raise the minimum wage. In a depressed economy, raising a minimum wage is going to be dangerous. It may not make an effect in places like New York, where uh, very few people earn $15 an hour, but you go to some rural communities, uh, to some territories, you know, Samoa or whatever, you could wipe people out. And he also has this bright idea of saying that workers on tips may well have to get a mandated stable wage of $15 to which the tips are then added, which will wreck the restaurant business. So I don't think he pays the slightest bit of attention to this stuff. When you have a downward market trying to boost things through minimum wage is not going to work. Trying to strengthen unions is only going to make it more difficult. Going after the gig economy, I think, is a horrible mistake. Uh, so on that particular issue, he, and I guess his name is what, Marty Walsh, the fellow from 
Boston. I mean, I think that's a horrendous appointment in terms of what one wants to expect. And I mean, you know, the this difference the between Secretary of Labor. Yes. Um, you know, Eugene Scalia, former student of mine and so forth. I mean, that he basically got all of these things right. So again, on the policy side, uh, Biden, I think, comes out a very distant second. And, you know, at this particular point, when things start to go bad in all these areas, one will not be able to say, aha, it's Trump and those miserable Republicans have done this because Biden's trying to do much too much by executive order, I think. And one of the interesting things about Trump is whatever you thought about his style, which it was terrible in so many cases. There were very few of his executive orders, I think, that were just downright wrong uh, in terms of trying to push the envelope too far. And I think that uh, you're going to see some serious challenges uh, to some of the Biden executive orders, particularly with respect to the Paris Treaty. And another area where he's been active already with executive orders, uh, immigration. So uh, you are, to refresh our audience's memory, uh, much less restrictionist on immigration than President Trump and the sort of nationalist cohort of Republicans are. But you're also not a pure open borders guy like a lot of your fellow libertarians. So let's look at the landscape here. Biden is basically returning to the second term Obama administration status quo on DACA. He's stopping construction of the border wall. He's eliminated the Trump administration's travel ban. And he's now unveiled legislation that would open a path to citizenship for anyone who was here illegally before January 1st. Too much of an overcorrection from the Trump administration, Richard? How do you think about this? I think it's too much of a correction, but, you know, let's you take them one at a time. I think the return to the status quo ante with respect to DACA is a very good thing. I thought the program worked. I think trying to create a uh, path to citizenship for the DACA individuals is also, I think, a very important kind of element to try to do. And in fact, I think both Trump and the Democrats muffed that. When Trump was trying to get the wall as a quid pro quo and the Democrats wanted to make it into an autopatic path for citizenship, I think they should have simply gone back to the status quo. Uh, if it turns out with respect to the travel ban, um, I think you have to sort of look at that case by case. But my own instinct is if the year is now 2021, the case for a travel ban is rather weaker than it was earlier. Paradoxically, I think part of that is in responsible for the Trump uh, initiatives in this area. Jared Kushner on these stuff is a thousand times as effective as, as John Kerry. I think he really made a major transformation in what's happening in the Middle East. And so I think that I'd be willing to say, let's back off the travel ban. There may be places in which you want to put something in, uh, but I'm happy with that. I am not in favor of granting citizenship to every illegal alien. I think that's too far much under these circumstances. In fact, I think the correct constitutional position, which is completely out of vogue today, is illegality never gets you a leg up on the situation for citizenship. I think, in effect, what happens is the children of illegal aliens should, as in every other country of the world, also be regarded as not citizens from birth. Um, as a sort of a technical matter, I'm willing to consider various kinds of um, alterations on this situation, compromises and so forth. But a blanket exemption, I think, would be a serious mistake. It means that you will get much more illegal immigration. I think deportation in 
in many cases is sadly the preferred remedy. What one really wants to do to handle this particular problem, I know it may sound strange, uh, but the single strongest way in which to solve the immigration problem is to enter into free trade agreements with those kinds of countries uh, who have sent large numbers of immigrants to the United States. If you can improve the standard of living and the economic security in these places, the northward flow will stop. And that is true certainly with respect to Mexico, and it could be true with respect to Central America. What I think is terrible about this is that the Biden administration is likely to do exactly the wrong thing on this. Namely, they're going to say, well, we will enter into free trade agreements only with people who have minimum labor standards that are comparable to the United States and who follow our environmental standards. I think both of those things are internal matters that they ought to be able to deal with themselves. And I think essentially it's just a restrictionist policy by American labor, which will have all too much influence over the uh, Biden administration. Richard, this has not yet bubbled up to the surface, but it is part of the president's stated agenda for the first hundred days. And I'd probably be remiss if I didn't ask one of the world's foremost torts experts on this. Joe Biden has pledged to pursue a policy that has for a while been the fondest hope of many gun control advocates, which is repealing liability protections for gun manufacturers, meaning that if someone is injured or killed with a firearm, then legal action could be brought against the manufacturer of the gun. Parse the legal implications of that for us. Well, it's a revolution, and I think it's a revolution for the worst. Uh, The question is whether or not you wish to have permits is a perfectly legitimate question. And you may want to tighten up on this, although the evidence, I think, that gun control actually reduces violence is very mixed. Uh, You take places like England where you have very strict controls. It may be you cut down a little bit on the deaths, but robberies and other kinds of crimes start to go up. If you look at the United States, it turns out that the trends in the last 20 to 25 years, even though we have shall issue rules in large numbers of states, have been very positive on this particular front. So I don't see any reason whatsoever for changing course. I think whatever it is that works in the past should work in the future. If, in fact, you're talking about the lawful sale of guns, the number of people who get them in the proper fashion, oddly enough, many of whom have taken gun control or gun use courses from people like the National Rifle Association, they commit virtually no crimes. And so there is the same point that John Lott raised many years ago, more guns, less crime. And the point of John, which I think has never been quite refuted, is he says, look, if you have, in fact, a number of illegal guns out there and a number of legal guns out there, and you put gun controls on these things, the legal guns will be turned in, the illegal guns will now be kept, and in fact the numbers may increase uh, because they now is going to be less likely to see resistance from their use, so you will get yourself higher crime rates. I think that's a serious position. Also, I think if you want to put this liability, it's clearly to my mind very dubious. If somebody sells a gun and it meets all legal requirements, I think the only correct answer is to say that it's the person who uses the gun criminally who ought to be responsible. There are certain cases where guns are owned legally and then entrusted by somebody to an illegal user. And I think at those cases, the entrusted could be held responsible, but that entrusted is not going to be the gun manufacturer. It's going to be the owner of the gun who gives it in there. Even with respect to retailers, I think the correct position is if they comply with all rules with respect to background checks and so forth, which manufacturers cannot do, uh, they also ought to be exempt. And so it's hard to say that every 
everybody in the gun chain should be open up to enormous tort liabilities will, I think, create an immense problem, particularly if you're going to apply to guns that are already in the marketplace. You will bankrupt everybody under these circumstances. I've said it before. I do not think that he or his advisors take all of these complications in tow. They're very much a kind of simple-minded approach that this is the progressive agenda and we're going to follow it. So on this issue, too, we can look forward to another long four years. There's going to be a lot of resistance, I hope, uh, to what Biden has said. And I think that what he has to understand is he had a mandate to get the election because people were anti-Trump. But I think the policies that he wants to put forward are not supported by any of the Trump voters, of which there were a lot, and by a large number of independents who voted for Biden on personal grounds will break with him on some of these issues. Not everybody will break on every issue, but a large number of people will break. I think, in effect, he has no political instincts that I can see. I, what he should do is be trying to, as it were, bring people together. What's so ironic is that I want red and white, red and blue, rather, to talk to one another and And then what he does is he unilaterally imposes a very deep blue kind of regime and tells those people on the other side, the definition of unity is you surrender and you agree that everything that you supported with respect to the wretched Mr. Trump is no longer acceptable. I think that's not the way in which you ought to proceed. Uh, What's happening here is that we have this cloak of conviviality on the one hand, but if you look at the executive orders, it tells a very, very different measure. And it's not going to be very long before this particular, uh, shall we say, warm reception will wear off if he continues down this path. His plan for the first 100 days, as best I can tell, is probably wrong about 80 to 90% of the time. You've been listening to The Libertarian Podcast with Richard Epstein. Remember, you can read Richard's column, The Libertarian, at definingideas at hoover.org, and you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. And if you enjoy the show, please rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For Richard Epstein, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening.